Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, half back, flat, on two. Ready? Right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Blue 42! Good morning, Rock. How are you now? Good morning, Paulie. I'm doing well. How are you? Are you reacclimated back to the state, back to the Northwest? I, I am. Caribbean love affair? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic time. Uh, had a great time yesterday, too. Finally got back out on the field. Oh, that was so wonderful. Uh, but, Brock, I got to ask you about your uh, your your weekend experience. You, you, you talked with uh, the old ball coach, Chris Peterson. I did. I did. And, man, was he ever thoughtful, right? Uh, I think you're going to see more and more of Chris Peterson doing media work. Uh, I think in the in the months ahead and, and, and exactly what that is and where it is, I think, is a little bit to be determined but yes, I twisted his arm to, to join me um, in a conversation, and I had no idea how deep it was going to go. And he pulled out his readers, like by his own Ebenezer's, and started reading from a from a book that was incredibly meaningful meaningful to him, as far as just trying to figure out why there was so much strain. You know, Jim Harbaugh and uh, the 49ers back in the day. Remember that, Danny? And, and actually, Tom Cable. I'm sorry to bring up a name. It probably makes you mad, too. But they talked about strain. Got a strain at the line of scrimmage. Strain in the run game. Got a strain. And there were so many years of strain for, for Coach Peterson in this profession. And, and I think he spoke to a lot of it over the course of, of that hour. And, and certainly the conflict that he faced. And, and I think still trying to find some resolution as to why. Brock, can I, I'm very interested in Chris Peterson's own process, but yeah. I wonder I wonder how interesting that is to people who actually love college football because my perception is that Chris decided that the the toll was too great and that he was missing out on too much of life being involved in the big machine. And usually when people do that, the, the the solution to that is to stay outside of the machine rather than in in this yeah. case guy I, I'm having a little bit of I'm struggling to wonder what he wants to get out of being a commentator or being part of the media. Yeah. I think that's a fair question, and I think it's one that he's probably wrestling with a little bit, too. He still loves football. I mean, I don't think there's any question about Danny. And I think, unfortunately, we could chalk this one up in the Larry Scott might as well because he's going to be, I think, officially leaving in the next month or so, and we'll see when the conference hires a new commissioner. But I think you could also chalk this up to there was so much frustration there at how poorly the conference was run, how poor that leadership was. I mean, truly. Really? Oh, God. Would he have fought all of those same battles, Danny, in in the Big Ten or the SEC or the Big 12? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, as he said, you know, during that interview that, hey, I just kind of changed one set of problems for another, leaving Boise and going to Washington. But, my gosh, there were a lot of problems up above him that I know in infuriated him from knowing him a bit professionally and personally of how the the conference was run and how just poor that leadership was uh, from Larry in the office. So I don't think he'll get back into the machine of it, Danny. I, you know, if you're asking me, do I do, do I believe? And and I think even um, Ben Hartsock asked him that. You know, are you going to put the whistle back around your neck? I, I, I don't think at the college level he'll do that. But why would he be interested in the media? Because I think he still loves football. I think he still loves the X's and O's. I think he still loves the team dynamics of it and watching people do it well 
as he said, you know, wanting to, to spend time with Nick Saban and try to figure out how in the world that guy still loves to do it and is able to do it at 69 in the machine. Um, so I think there's a lot of fascination there, Danny, and, and a bunch of reasons, actually, as to why he wants to jump in the media. All right, Brock, question two. I, I wouldn't mind Chris Peterson being the commissioner of the Pac-12, I'm just saying. Mm. I think that I think that'd be okay. Brock, Jason Lockenfor listed the Seahawks as a potential suitor for Aaron Rodgers. Whoa! And he, this is after next season, depending on what happens with with Russell Wilson. <laughs> on the one hand, Brock, uh, I don't I don't want to root for Aaron Rodgers under any circumstances. On the other hand, maybe smug Aaron Rodgers is exactly what I would want if <laughs> things went south with Russell Wilson. Maybe that's exactly what I would be looking for. Uh, your reaction to that report or that suggestion that potentially Seattle would be a, a landing spot for Aaron Rodgers if both teams ended up making a quarterback switch. You think Aaron Rodgers would rather play for Pete in Seattle or be the host of Jeopardy? He'd rather play for Pete. I think he'd because you think he'd rather play for Pete. I think he'd rather play for Pete because he's also got John Schneider yeah. here. Schneider's, I mean, Schneider drafted Jordy Nelson. Like, yeah, I, I, I think there'd be a lot of interest on Aaron's part in coming here. Plus, he get to I stick think, it to well, the 49ers yeah, I mean, twice a year. Ooh, yes, yes, and a West Coast guy, and I think just a. Just kind of a, 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 you know, just demographics and maybe to live that would, that would, I think he'd be incredibly comfortable with. And, and I think he would enjoy that process with Pete. I think there's a lot of alignment there, maybe off the field as well. So I, yeah, I don't think that's crazy. It, it kind of first day and everybody just kind of took, well, yeah, sure, you go from Russell to, to Aaron Rodgers and everything else. But yeah, I mean, Aaron is a very, very cerebral and thoughtful guy. And much like Peyton Manning, when he made his choice, if and this is a huge if, right? I mean, this is right. if Green Bay decides to move on from him, which I don't know why they would, and they're going to be very good this year, and they're going to probably win 10 or 12 games again, and we'll see what they do in the playoffs. So, I mean, that requires Green Bay saying thanks but no thanks. Yes. But, yeah, I, I think if you were to ask Aaron Rodgers right now on a napkin to do what Mark Rodgers did for Russell Wilson and say, <laughs> hey, what was I don't want to be yeah, traded, but if I did. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I love that idea. I like it as the it's the back of the na- back of the envelope, back of the napkin calculation. Yep. Yep, I had I had one of those actually. Uh, I think one of my first radio negotiations. I think actually two of them um, involved a, a napkin at a couple locales there in Seattle and just kind of drawing some numbers up. So that's not just a metaphor. That does happen sometimes. And, yes, I think if you slid a napkin over to Aaron and said, hey, hey, what do you think? You know, give me your give me your three or four. Seattle would certainly, if Russell decides to, to move on in the grass screener or to really play that card next year. But, man, that feels a long, long, long ways off. Aaron turns 38 in December, Brock. How many more years do you think he'll be playing in the NFL? He has a style that I feel like could age well. He's pretty good at getting out of the pocket still, but also getting rid of the football, not getting hit. He's also a guy that seems like he has interests outside of football. Yes, yes, and yes. And I remember doing their first game this year, and he talked about actually the most important thing at this stage of your career. And I remember Warren Moon saying this, and certainly John Gruden 
went on and on about Tom Brady with this, and that's your legs. It's not your arm. It's not your brain. It is your it is your legs. And we have seen no slowdown whatsoever in Aaron's arm strength. Uh, there's no slowdown in the horsepower between his ears. And he talked about going back and actually squatting and doing lunges and freeway this last offseason and kind of the COVID offseason. It really felt like it, it, you know, added some strength, and he felt so much better even throwing. So, yeah, I think he's still got a number of years ahead of him. Did you ever hear the story about how he was recruited at University of Washington? No. So he's at Butte Junior College, and he's trying to get anybody to take a look at him. Anybody at all. And he's sending out tape. He wants to go to Washington. That's, I mean, hey. And then all of a sudden he gets offered by Tedford. And and he couldn't get Neuheisel to to pick up a phone or to reach out to him or any of the assistants. As soon as it became reported that he'd accepted a scholarship from Tedford, all of a sudden Neuheisel's calling and trying to flip his recruiting. Yeah. Yep. Isn't that the most Rick Neuheisel? Like that is if if you're gonna ask me to describe Neuheisel in a nutshell, it was entirely that like terrible oh. inst- doesn't have any understanding of what a, a good player actually looks like but wants to compete for recruiting once he finds out that guy's going somewhere else that and not the eavesdropping now, okay <laughs> yeah. now to be fair i bet you mike Bellotti and uh david shaw well maybe not shaw or harbaugh at stanford at that time because but I, I bet you some of the other peers in the conference and it's usually sadly how it kind of works is it takes that first offer Take someone go, ooh, and then everybody else feels like, oh, what do we miss? What, what do we miss? What, what, what am I not seeing? And, and you know, sadly, that that's a fairly common refrain, I think, in the recruiting world. But, yes, uh, that does give you certainly an opportunity to take a little shot at Rick. Yes, Rick deserves all the shots. Question three. <laughs> all right, Brock, with the benefit of hindsight, after seeing the Orlando Brown trade made on Friday where Kansas City sends a first, a third, a fourth, and a future fifth to Baltimore for Orlando Brown, mm-hmm. a second-round pick, would you rather the Seahawks have given up the haul that they gave up last year for Jamal Adams for an offensive lineman instead of a safety? Ooh, that's a good question, and... Gosh, I was I was reading somebody, I think, over the weekend that was talking about Dwayne Brown. And just, we better really appreciate, you know, this uh, this upcoming season and really appreciate what he did for the last few years uh, where he has just locked that position down. Not quite Walter Jones-esque, but you know, we remember the void that was left in Walter's absence and how difficult it was to, to watch turnstile at left tackle. I think the challenge there is you've got to, well, a little bit like Jamal, um, but but maybe even more expensive. You got to say, okay, you know, is this is this the route that we want to go down? And are we committed to giving that player who already is an incredibly large man who fights his size and fights his weight? And we saw this with Trent Brown, who left New England and got a big deal in Oakland and and added another thirty or forty pounds and it was just uh, not not a good move for Mr. Mayock and Mr. Gruden. Are you willing to then pay, not just that trade, right? Are you then willing to pay that guy what he wants, which is going to be, you know, $18 million, $20 million a year to be the left tackle? So uh, yeah, I think it was a little easier pill to swallow to say we can do that with Jamal. He's a, a bit of that positionless player that you love. He's a strong safety. He's a linebacker. He's a defensive end. He does all of those things. And, oh, by the way, if we can get him at safety money – you know, $14, $15 million a year, 
I don't think that hamstrings you with a cap growing in the years to come as much as, say, that left tackle would. Pay for greatness. Don't pay for good. That's how I look at it. Jamal Adams is a great yeah. player. And, yeah, yeah. you're right. The, the position itself, safety, is not as highly paid as as, as left tackle. But he's, he's a great player. Orlando Brown's a good player. Orlando Brown... The Ravens don't think so much of him that they're, I mean, A, they're willing to trade him, first of all, but they're trading him to the team they're competing with the conference title for. They're, yeah. They, this is not well, a great player. Things. Yeah. No, I think there's two things. I think he's borderline great, Danny, within within their system, but, you know, he's a right tackle, and he, he fancies himself a left tackle. He's going to get that chance to do it in Kansas City and get paid that kind of money, and Yada, 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 yada. But, you know, I, I do think that that size matters. That when he came out of the combine, the reason he fell to the third round is he was, what, 395 pounds? Yeah, it's huge. With, like, 90 to 92% body fat. I mean, it was it was a tough, it was tough. I mean, Rich, he I... He didn't have 92% body fat, Brock. Whoa. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like you fat star. shamer. <laughs> so I think, I think Baltimore kind of knew, like, fish, you know, we're a little... Reluctant, we already paid Ronnie Stanley. We're not going to be able to pay a left tackle and a right tackle, and you know we'll let somebody else let somebody else deal with that, and we'll continue to draft and develop incredibly well, which is what the Ravens have done too. That is blue forty-two. There are teams you can make a living off of making taking advantage of their mistake, like trade with the Jets whenever you can. They tend to do really yeah. dumb things. The Ravens are yeah. not on that list of teams, like the Ravens, the no. Patriots. Like they're, they're those are on the short list of teams. Whereas, like, if they're calling, I'm doing a double take of like, what do they know that I don't know? What probably do the they Packers. know that I don't know? Yep, yep. You probably, I think, put the Packers on that list. Yep, probably Steelers maybe on that list. I think of some of the some of the guys that, that Seattle maybe tried to pick up. Not be a trade. Trade's been an excellent tool of acquisition for for Mr. Schneider and crew, but. Yeah, if those teams that are pretty sound at developing their people, and to your point, Danny, that I think share that philosophy and know the difference between good and great. And you better know that difference in both projecting them and then ultimately when you have them in your program, the Seahawks have always paid for greatness and have done a pretty good job of letting good walk out the door. And you tell me, Danny, how many, how many guys have they let walk out the door that turned great elsewhere? One. I can't think of a lot of them. I mean, Golden Tate, Tate. had a very, very nice run. Uh, Paul Richardson uh, had a very difficult time staying nah. healthy. And yeah. But been a, bu- been a bunch of them that, that, that were good here. Um, and, you know, we're still somewhat good around the league. But I don't know how many they've let walk out the door that turned great elsewhere. Yeah, Tate's probably not great, but man, Tate would... That's that's the one I regret the most. That, that That's the one that I think, I, I, I think that the Seahawks kicked themselves over. Yeah, it is. I mean, honestly, if you just spitball that, you think of the Byron Maxwells, and, yep. and you know there were there have been a bunch of guys that they've had to make that decision on saving, saving Clowney, frankly, right? That we oh. spent hours and hours talking about getting him oh, back. Oh boy, but, there's you know, one more that we're not yeah, thinking of: Jermaine Effetti. When they let Effetti walk out, that was when everything fell apart. Yeah, I mean, if they probably don't have, if they have Effetti last year, Russell doesn't get mad. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, yep, Effetti. That's one that they're going to be kicking day. themselves. Look forward to talking to you, the boys, tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, that is Brock Hewitt.